Hey, we are here with the Rock Harbor Panama team in Panama. We're in the city of Dolega, right? Yes. And I'm with Pastor uh, Rafael in one of their feeding centers. Tell us about what's going on here. What are you guys doing, All right. Pastor? Uh, so since 2005, we um, we started this feeding center, and uh, God has allowed us to help the community. And, uh, and the kids from different neighborhoods, they come every day about 11.30, 11.45, they eat. Some of the kids, they come out of the school, they also come in, uh, a little bit later than that. And, and we're able to feed them every day. We'll give them rice. Uh, we have a meat, a, a type of meat there, chicken, and a type of beans. And sometimes we do salads and try to make the, the, the food as best as we can for them. Uh, and so, so how many how many meals will, will these kids eat in a day? Uh, if you didn't feed them here, what would they what would they eat at home? Yeah, well, some of the kids actually this is the only meal that they do. So some of these kids because of, because uh, uh, they don't have that much money in the house. Uh, this is this is a good help for their family, yeah. not just for their kids, but for the family. One of the things that we do is we teach them the God's word, and and, and they're they're being raised here basically every day in a church uh, that we teach them God's word. Awesome. Very awesome. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing well, here. Thank you for you guys coming, and, and yeah. uh, thank you, uh, Church, for sending them. Uh, they've been a, a really good blessing for us, and, 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 and also, thank, I, I don't know who did that. Softball. Softball equipment. Yeah, we had some people donate some softball equipment. Um, they've got about seven um, foster girls foster teenage girls that are now going to they're going to make a softball team um, because we were able to gather up some softball equipment for them so they yeah. were so we really thank you thank everyone that participated in yeah. this and and for the bats and for everything they, they really love, like it uh, i think they went to sleep with that last night really they went <laughs> yeah. to sleep with it that's yeah. awesome well, good morning good morning how's everybody doing good ready for some fun yeah. Hey, so I had the privilege, as you saw in that video, I was the tool guy, that, the goofball in the video there. Um, but I got to be with 12 people who we sent to Panama, and it was an unbelievable experience. It was so cool. You saw just a quick snapshot of some of the things that we did. But um, MANA Worldwide is this organization that we partner with as a church that partners with local missionaries and pastors in these third world countries and all over the world. Um, and we were able to go down there with Pastor Raphael and another missionary um, named Stan Sherwood, and we had had just an incredible time. Um, the cool thing about uh, MANA and why we love partnering with them is they know that if they can put a meal in these kids' bellies, um, that it gives them a window into their lives to be able to share Christ with them, and not only with them, but with their families. What was so cool is that we noticed the, some of the parents would bring these kids to these feeding centers, um, and then the parents stay outside because the food is only um, for feeding the kids. They'd stay outside, and the missionaries would be out there just having conversations with these, these families, just getting to know them, building relationships, and it was so cool to be um, part of that. And if you see this picture here that we've got on the screen, um, we put together a whole bunch of gift bags uh, to take to the three different feeding centers that we got to go and visit. And uh, we had somebody on the team that went to the dollar store here and bought a whole bunch of stuff. It was actually Kim on the far left there. Um, awesome. And they put together these bags, and we were able to take those and give one to every single kid. It was about 150 of them, and it, it, was, it was unbelievable. It was like Christmas. Um, the kid, they see the kids' faces when they got these. They just had coloring books. I mean, things that we get at the dollar store here um, was an incredible blessing for them to receive there. And um, coloring books and some candy and all of that. And just for us to sit, sit with them and be able to color and just have some fun with them at these feeding centers. What was cool, um, and it just kind of knocked our socks off as we were putting some of these things back away in our van. 
um, at one of these feeding centers, and we had the van door open, and some girls um, that were at the feeding center were walking by to, to go home, and myself and a guy named Chad and Russell, who are on the team, um, were, were at the van putting this stuff away, and this girl comes up to me, and she says, uh, disculpe, which is excuse me, we said that a lot on this trip, disculpe, um, she said, uno mas por favor for mi hermana, and since you guys don't know Spanish, I'm fluent, I can, I can translate that for you, it's cool. Um, she said, can I have one more for my sister? And so just, just, she just wanted to take one. You made me cry because you said, oh, right there somewhere, right in front. <laughs> she, said, she said that. She just wanted to take a gift home for her sister that wasn't there at the feeding center. And, and, and Russell and Chad, were, they looked at me. We were looking at each other in the van like, can we give more away? Do we have enough for everybody? And they started handing them to her. And I had to like cut them off because they were going to give away the whole van if I let them. So... Um, so that was pretty cool, but what blew us away was when we went to their houses to visit, you know, we saw these kids in the feeding center and most of them were coming to or from school and they were wearing uniforms. The schools require uniforms there and we couldn't tell the level of poverty that they lived in. We couldn't tell how poor they were just by looking at them. And so we went to their houses to bring these gifts. Um, the missionaries kind of set this up to, to the people that were in the most need there. And we saw these, some of these kids in their housing environments. I want to show you the very first house that we saw. Go ahead and check this out. This is the outside of the first house that we got to walk into. You can see, look at the makeshift window. They use bamboo. They use metal siding, whatever they can um, to hold the roof down, all these things. And then we took our first steps inside. And we saw what was inside. We saw the dirt floors and kind of the, the pictures that you might expect to kind of see, but you really can't prepare yourself for it until you're standing right there in, their, in what would be kind of their bedroom. Um, you see the, the water leaks through the roof, and it creates puddles there in the, in the mud. I mean, their floor was literally mud that has just been compacted down enough that it's solid. And you see their little kitchen area there. They've got chickens running around. Um, and that was the game changer for us. And what was so cool is we got to bring these water filters filled with about two weeks' worth of food to feed their family, and we just gave it to them as a gift. Um, and then our MANA leader, uh, Scott, who, was, who works with MANA Worldwide, he was with us. Um, this was the first one that we went to, and he, he went through um, just the whole demonstration of how the water filter works to show them how to use it. These water filters can filter a million gallons of water through them, which is an incredible gift for these families. And he went through this, and at the end, he said something that just blew us all away. I think that, that was the moment when we all realized as a team, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is unbelievable. He said to them, we came from a really long ways away to give you these as a gift, And he said, this isn't just a gift from us. This is a gift from God. And we want you to know that God sees you, that God loves you, and that God cares for you. And I look around at our team, and we're all just like, (laughs) just just losing it. Um, And it was just just an unbelievable experience. My wife um, joined me on the trip. It was awesome to be able to experience this with her. Um, You can see a picture of her holding this cute little girl here. Yeah, that's my better half. That's the only reason I can do what I'm doing right now up here. She's awesome. Um, But she made a post on Facebook here a few days ago, kind of summarizing the whole trip. Um, And she put a bunch of pictures and and then she wrote this awesome just summary of what happened. But she put a sentence at the end that I want to read to you guys because I think it summarizes um, so well what our team's bringing back from that and what summarizes so well why we send teams out um, to be able to experience something outside of our, our beautiful little bubble of Meridian here. She said this, she said, joy and contentment will never be found in the accumulation of things. Getting trapped in the wanting of bigger and better and newer is the real poverty. 
And it's interesting that um, she said that and that I, we got to go to Panama and then I got asked to speak on 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 14 because it's talking about idolatry. And so it's kind of the perfect segue into the conversation we're going to have today, talking about the things in our lives uh, that we allow to outrank God in our hearts and in our lives. So we're going to be in that, those, that chapter, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 1 through 14, if you want to get there. And Paul's throwing some pretty hefty stuff at us, talking about idols. It's not usually something that we want to think about or want to look at and, and think, like, okay, what's, what's taking the place of God in our hearts? What are we spending most of our time on? It's not an easy thing, but I'm going to help us kind of unpack it and understand it. And hopefully um, we'll leave here knowing how to apply it and how to challenge ourselves um, today and this week. So first, I want you to write down the question, where does God rank? Write that on your notes for you note takers. If you refuse to take notes like me and you're, you know, you're, uh, you got a photographic memory or something because you don't need to take notes like me, um, just take a picture of that. Where does God rank? Write that down and think about that as we talk through this morning. So we're going to start off. I'm going to read um, this passage all the way through and kind of just let God's word speak for itself here. And then um, I'm going to take us back through and we'll work through it together here. So starting in verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So we see here that Paul is reminding the Corinthian church about how the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt and talking about their journey that they had and the blessings that they received in order to make an example. An example for what verse 14 tells us, so that they would flee from idolatry. So we started back in March going through Corinthians, and it's, it, we've been spending most of the part of the year, this year in Corinthians working through it, and we've seen time and time again how the Corinthians, they're misusing their freedoms. They're going back to their old ways. And Jesus is allowing, or, or they're, they're they're misusing their freedoms that they found in Jesus originally, but now they're allowing those freedoms to outrank God in their hearts. And so Paul now is talking, um, he's taking the Corinthians kind of back through history, a history that they would have known really well. I mean, this is their ancestors that they're talking about. And he's doing this to kind of recount how ancient Israel also misused their freedoms and the consequences that came for their disobedience. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to kind of dig into this history that Paul's bringing up for us here. And I think it's important for us to understand what the Israelites experienced so we can understand why Paul is bringing this into the New Testament and why he's bringing this up as an example for the Corinthian church, but also as an example for us here today. But before we dig in, I kind of want to set the stage a little bit. So the Israelites were held captive for 400 years. 400 years. It's a long, long time. 
All the Israelites knew, all they knew was slavery, enslavement. Enslavement means that you don't have the power to liberate yourself. So who would, who would rescue them? They were dependent on God and they were dependent on God alone to rescue him. And he does. And he did through his servant Moses. And that enslavement, look, here's the cool thing about that. The parallel that we draw from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to us today is the enslavement of the Israelites is a, is a picture. It's a picture of our enslavement, the humanity's enslavement to sin and death that we couldn't rescue ourselves from. And so God sent Moses and he went and he led the Israelites out of slavery, slavery, led them out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And Moses became the picture of what would come more than a thousand years later. Jesus coming and rescuing us out of our slavery to sin and death. And so this is where we're at. Paul's recounting the blessings that the Israelites received and as they were delivered out of Egypt. And so we start right there in verse one. We're going to jump in and we're going to work through these verses together now. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And in order to understand what he's talking about by the cloud, we jump back into Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And so what we draw from that is that God was with them the entire time. I mean, can you imagine being led on this journey with this whole nation of people and there's this cloud that is just right in front of you showing you exactly the direction to go. And at night it lights up in a pillar of fire. And that was a blessing that these guys had. That was a privilege that they had. And so Paul's bringing up these privileges to show the Corinthians. So the presence and the guidance of God was with them. Paul goes on and he says, And all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so what Paul's talking about here, he's reminding the Corinthians of the miracle that Moses performed by parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through because if they stayed on this side, the Egyptians were going to come and kill them. To get to the other side was to be saved. And so he's saying they were baptized here, which means to be identified. So Paul's saying that through parting of and them passing through the Red Sea, that they're being identified with God and with Moses. Another blessing. And all ate the same spiritual food, verse 3. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So the spiritual food, we go back to where when God rained down manna on the people and he gave them food that fell from the sky and then the water that he provided for them when they were in the desert, in the wilderness. That's the spiritual food and the water that he's talking about. And then the spiritual rock, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. So Paul, again, he's reminded the Corinthians of all these amazing things that God did for the Israelites, all these freedoms they experienced, all these blessings and privileges that they had. They were a privileged people. But by referencing this story, what Paul is trying to say, that our privileges and freedom are no guarantee of success. He's telling the Corinthian church this. This freedom that you've found in Christ, it is no guarantee of success. We see that God is still not pleased with them. Why? Because they were idolaters. They had placed things in their lives that began to take the place of God to outrank God in their lives. 
And that's where I want to pause. I want us to kind of spend some time unpacking this idea of idolatry because that ultimately is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the idols in our lives. Idolatry, the worship of idols. Idolatry is anything or any person that we value or rank higher than God. It's a question that we had. Where does God rank? Where does God rank? Think about that. It's what captivates our mind's attention and our heart's affection and steers it away from Christ. And I think none of us would say that anything outranks God in our lives. I mean, for those of us who are here that would say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. If I said, hey, give me your top three things in your life that you're all about. I think we'd probably all say God. We'd all say family or my wife. And if you didn't, she'd probably like give you the elbow because she is. And then number three, we'd probably say like Fortnite, right? Something like Fortnite. For, for all you old timers, Fortnite's a video game that all the cool kids are playing right now. 24 hours a day. But we'd say those things. You know, what's funny is when I wrote this message, um, after it was done, I got on Facebook and I saw my buddy who I work with here at Rock Harbor, Chris Easley. He's our creative director. He made this Facebook post that worked so perfectly right here for me to flame him. It's awesome. So you got to read this. He said, there's nothing in the world as amazing as one, Jesus' love, and two, an ice-cold McDonald's Coke on a 100-degree day. (laughs) Yeah. See, there it is. You can see it. It's real. And 50 of you liked it. Okay? Don't encourage him. We all know his idol's McDonald's, okay? Perfect right there. But in theory, I think we all want to rank God as number one. In theory, we all would say, yeah, God's number one in my life. I'm a Christian. Like, that's always going to be first. But I think in practice and in life, you know, when we start just getting into, into life and all the things that life has and all the great things it has to offer, I think it's a lot easier said than done. So I want to talk practically for a second about what idols look like. I want to talk about um, what they look like in our lives today. And, you know, we're not talking about some stone figurines or, or carvings that we worship. We're talking about what they look like for us today in our culture. And I think before we do that, we have to understand what does it look like for something to outrank God in our life? How do we know if something outranks God in our life? So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I call them IIQs, idolatry inventory questions, okay? I made that up because it would make me sound smart. Okay, thank you. Idolatry inventory questions. So I'm going to ask these questions. I want you to think about them. What would be the thing that if I lost, I would feel I had nothing? What preoccupies my thoughts, my dreams, and my aspirations? What am I the most proud about in my life? What defines me? Or what would the person sitting next to you right now say defines you? What do they see you being all about? Where do I go to find true happiness? And I think if you want the answer to some of these, that it might be good to spend some time and look back through your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed, the things that you've been highlighting in your life. You know, look back through that and see where, where, where's your attention been over the last several years. You can kind of see some themes throughout your life that way. So let's get specific now. What are some of these idols? What do they look like specifically? For some, I think it's money. It's about how much we can accumulate or once we get to a point where we feel like God's given us enough and, and he's taking good care of us, it's like we've got to get to that next goal, reach that next goal. For some, it's, it's our future. It's the comfort of, and security of our future. Our retirement, you know, we're putting all of our time and energy thinking about making sure that we're secure. For some, it's time. We can be really selfish with our time. Control, significance, physical appearance, sex, 
those gains. If you were here last week, you saw Nate was up here. He even brought, he idolizes working out so much that he had to bring a workout bench onto the stage and do like bench press. I don't know if you guys saw that. Vacations. And here's a couple of big ones for us. Material possessions. I often, I've told you this before, I often find myself, you know, researching, spending a lot of time and brain energy and power thinking and researching what that next thing is that I'm getting. You know, my wife will go to bed and I'll be on the computer just looking, researching, finding that best deal. And another big one, fun. I think we can idolize fun. And I got a question for you with that. Are your kids seeing that it's more important for you to have fun than it is for you to follow Jesus? Are your kids growing up seeing that we're going to have fun, we're going to do, weekends are all about fun, and maybe if we get back in time, then we're going to go to church, and then we'll do that, and we'll squeeze that in when we can? I think fun is a big one for us in this culture. We've got a lot that we can do. Meridian is beautiful outside. There's lots of things that we can do. But the crazy thing about all these things that I listed off is that none of them are bad. None of them are bad. They're all good things. They're all these incredible things. And we take these things that God gives us to enjoy and we turn them into idols because we allow them to outrank God. Friends, pleasure, houses, marriage, kids, even ministry. All the things that God gives us to enjoy and we turn them into idols and we get so frustrated eventually because all of that wears off, right? It's a short-term fulfillment that we get from all those things. They don't satisfy And so the problem comes when we let those things outrank God. The problem comes when we let the good things in our lives become the best things. That's when God is outranked. So if we keep moving on, we continue back in verse 6. These things happen to them as an example for us. And we see it again in verse 11. These things happened as an example for us, but they were written down for our instructions. So Paul is telling these, the story of the Israelites as an example for our instruction to tell us, hey, there is consequences for idolatry. Let me show you what happened back here to these guys. And to look at what those consequences were, we keep going. Verse 7, it says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. That was a serious consequence, 23,000 in a single day. We probably should just leave right now, go home, get rid of all our idols so that doesn't happen in Meridian, Idaho. I'll call my wife, babe, hey, put my mountain bike on Craigslist. No, wait, never mind, don't do that. That's my number one. Don't do that. Don't do that. Verse nine, let's keep going. We, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and they were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. We have to look back at at Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 6, to see what he's talking about here. He says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of this Egypt, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. We hate this food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents poisonous snakes and among the people they bit the people and so many of the people of Israel died so my question for you after reading that is how many of you are going to read this at bedtime tonight for your kids <laughs> they, this is what happens when you don't like the food this is what God does no don't do that we don't want to we don't want to scare them too bad but what Paul's doing here bringing this up he's referencing some serious consequences he's saying this is a big deal this deserves our attention we need to look at this 
Let me ask you a real question this time, something more serious. And I want you guys to give this some thought this week. This, this kind of, this message like this, this type of stuff is just good to go this week. Think about it. Let God kind of let it marinate in you. And this is a question I want you to do with that. Are you chasing after Jesus the same way you're chasing after whatever it is that you're chasing after? Are you chasing after Jesus the same way you're chasing after whatever it is? Am I chasing Jesus more than whatever it is I'm chasing the most? Am I chasing Jesus more than I'm chasing my career? Am I chasing Jesus more than I'm chasing that next paycheck or that next deal or that next house closing for all you realtors? Am I chasing Jesus more than I'm chasing that next fitness goal or that next PR? High school students, college students, maybe you're single in here. Are you chasing Jesus more than you're chasing that guy or that girl? Or are you chasing Jesus more than the idea of that guy or that girl that might be down the road? And I know what we'd say is, Brandon, it's not practical. This isn't practical. I've tried. I've tried to put Jesus as number one. I've tried to rank him number one. It's too hard. All these things come in. I can't do it. And I would say, why? The very reason that we have breath in our lungs every day that we wake up is because he put it there. The reason that we have breath in our lungs to pursue all these great things that we love and that we like to do is because he put it there. He made us for a specific reason. And if we go back to Genesis 1, we can see that God made us in his image. He made us for a purpose. He made us in his likeness, male and female alike. With dignity, value, worth, he made us for a reason. That reason is to glorify him, to worship him, to honor him, to adore him, even to enjoy him. When's the last time you were at a spot where you enjoyed God? That's why we're made. And when we're made, when we do what we're supposed to be doing, when we're doing what we were made to do, God gets the glory and we get the joy. And it's not just the superficial joy that all these things can bring us. I'm talking about the real deep down in your heart type of joy that nothing can give you and nothing can take it away. David said it so perfectly. Psalms chapter four, verse seven. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. So the joy that comes from the Lord when we're chasing after him It's better than any vacation. It's better than any new house or new car or any of that affirmation that we might get at work. That's the joy that we're talking about. And what I don't want you to hear is that those things are bad. I want you to hear that Jesus is so much better. I want you to hear that when we're ranking him number one in our lives, that he's always enough. When I was in Panama, I was walking down a a dirt road. We walked down a lot of dirt roads in Panama. That's one of the things I remember too. Um, But we were walking down dirt road and I was walking with Pastor Raphael, who you saw on the screen a little bit ago. And I asked him, I said, hey, what would you say is the number one or two things that you guys need the most? Like, what is your biggest need down here? And his answer blew me away. He said, you know what? That's a hard question to answer because I feel like God's given us everything we need. And this is a guy who lives in a third world country. This is a guy who he's got all these different things going on. He's got a church. He's a local church pastor. He's got two Mana Worldwide feeding centers. He's got seven uh, high school age girls living in an addition that they added to their house because they're trying to start this orphanage. And he says, I feel like God's provided everything. And little did he know, I was trying to probe him to see how we could come alongside him as a church and bless him. But, you know, his answer, I was like, cool, man. We just, you just saved our church some money. It was good. <laughs> 
No, we were actually able to bless him, and it was awesome. Just an incredible guy. And the one thing about Rock Harbor is we want to invest in people that are investing in people, and that's one thing that has always been a value for us. But the reason that he can say that, the reason he can say something like that, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, we need this, we need this, I know we need this, our church probably could use this, he can say that because he's experienced the richness of the joy that only comes from Jesus when he's ranked number one in his life. Verse 12, we keep going. Paul wants our attention here because he starts off with, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So if we don't think we have a problem in this area and we think um, that this isn't an issue for us, Paul's saying, you better, you better pay attention here. Pay attention here. We need to go through these diagnostic questions and do an inventory and see what is going on in our lives, what's going on in our hearts. Where does God rank? Pay attention or you're going to fall, he says. This next verse it might feel a little bit out of place, but he's actually talking about dealing with the temptations that come with idolatry, and it should give us a lot of hope that he's in it with us. He's in the temptations with us. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. So Paul says here, with the temptation of your sin, the temptations of your idols, there's not one that hasn't been endured by someone else. I think we so often feel like we're all alone, feel like no one's dealing with this. There's not one that hasn't been endured by someone else. Men, I want to talk to you just for a second. I know we've spent a lot of time this year, probably more than ever, talking about the issues of lust and sexual sin and pornography. And what Satan wants to do with that is he wants to make you feel like you're all alone. And he keeps you in the dark and he keeps you coming to church every Sunday with this issue that you're struggling through, this temptation that you're giving into. And he keeps pouring down all this shame and guilt on top of you that makes you just feel like you're all alone. And this verse is beautiful. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not alone. The Israelites had to endure these temptations. The Corinthians had to endure these temptations. And we have to endure these temptations today. He will provide a way of escape, so endure it. And I know sometimes the draw of our idols, the draw of the temptations, the draw of the things of this world, and I'm not just talking to guys now, I'm talking about everybody, the things that tempt us the most, whatever that is for you, I know that draw can be so hard. That, that, that in, to indulge in that sin, the draw of it can be so tough. So powerful. But this verse is saying that there's always a way of escape. It might not always look and feel the way we would think. I don't know that God's going to, you know, shout at us audibly and say, okay, don't do that. Go the other way. Your way out's over here. But what it's saying is that there will always be strength in us to say no because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And Paul's not just looking at his people here, listing off all these things not to do. Don't go get drunk. Don't commit sexual sin. Stop complaining and grumbling and stop being frustrated with God. Knock it all off. What he's saying is that this whole passage is pay attention to the idolatry in your life. If you let idolatry creep in, these other things are going to creep in as well. It's, it's because of the idolatry that we're engaging in these other things. So it's interesting that idolatry could be a root cause of sin. And it's Cool, uh, here, Martin Luther, um, a well-known theologian from the 1500s, said this when, when talking about the Ten Commandments. He noticed that the first two commandments referred to idolatry. I'll read those to you. The first one is, you shall not have no other gods before me. 
Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image that you, you should not bow down to them or serve them. And then the other eight commandments were things like sexual sin, stealing, lying, murder. And what he's saying here is that if you never broke those other two for those first two commandments, if you didn't let anything else outrank God in your life, that you'd be able to keep those eight other commandments. That idolatry is kind of the pathway to the sin. So if you're a person who drinks too much or you're a person who does drugs or you're a person that has anger issues or maybe your marriage is a complete wreck, I would say that the issue is that God's not ranked number one in your life. And it's exactly what we say in our re-engage ministry, in our marriage ministry. We say draw a circle around yourself and fix only what's in the middle because we know that if you fix what's going on right here between you and God, if you can fix what's in your heart and put God on the throne of your heart where he's supposed to be, that this relationship right here between you and your spouse, who's also trying to do that, is going to be so much better. See, it's when God is ranked number one in our lives, it's when the Holy Spirit oozes out of us. And it oozes out of us in the way of the fruits of the Spirit. And when we have the fruits of the Spirit, there's no room for anything else to come out. We've got the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. And I told you we'd go back to verse 4. And I want to do that as we close here today. It says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And as I was studying this passage, I had to ask myself, it makes you wonder, what in the world is Christ doing in the Old Testament? And this is one of those special places in the word where we realize that Jesus Christ, who was and who is and who is to come, was there. He was there for the Israelites. He was there for the Corinthians. And he's here for us. And this message, when we kind of get down, we're like, man, all these idols, now I got to go figure out what is going wrong in my life, what's outranking God in my life. We have Jesus with us in our temptations. He's with us. He's the pre-existing, pre-incarnate God of the Trinity. And this is one of those special spots in the word where we get to see that. So that's what I want to consider this week. I want you guys to just think about that. Where does God rank in my life? What might be outranking God? Don't look at other people. I think, you know, things like this, it's very easy for us to look at Chris Easley and say, you've got an issue with McDonald's. It's easy for us to look at everybody else and see all the social media feeds coming through our phones and say, man, I'm sick of this vacation that they're always on. I'm sick of this and all these idols, blah, blah, blah. But this is a message that I want you to take home and think about in your heart. What is outranking God in your life? Draw that circle around yourself. I'm going to close this out in prayer. King Jesus. Man, messages like this can can be tough. They can be tough to deliver. They can be tough to give. They can be tough to receive. But I would ask God that your spirit would go with each one of us this week and guide us through some serious self-evaluation. There's some seriousness to what was said here. There's some seriousness to what we learned here today. So take us through some good evaluation, Lord. And show us those things and those areas and those idols in our lives that we've allowed to climb the ladder of our heart and dethrone you. 
And God, give us the tenacity and the know-how and the will to do whatever it takes to put those things back in their place and to put you back on the throne. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it does not return void. We're thankful for what you're doing in our hearts and that we get to just go on and on working towards you no matter how much we stumble along the way. We pray these things in your name. Amen.